Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. An interesting thing that's happening out there with inflation increasing is help debt. Have you got old school hex, new school help debt ticking away in the background? What do you do? We know that at the end of April, there'll be a new indexation amount. So we're gonna chat about this today. New loan customer cashbacks. Should we do it or not? Ooh, I saw a deal the other day, $4,000. And I'm gonna get into a little hot water, I'm sure, because I've got such an unpopular opinion about loans for holidays. A lot of you in the Facebook group were happy with it, we're going to talk about it today. Radio Sharesies. Last week, we announced our newest show partner for Tuesdays, and that is Sharesies. Sharesies is an investment platform. You can get the app. There's a link in the show notes. Really amazing to get you started, to get you invested. But again, I just wanted to say thanks, Sharesies, for supporting my millennial money. We love investing, but it's important to get educated before you start, right? So education should be the baseline of everything. Sharesies is helping create financial empowerment for everyone. Their vision is to give someone with $5 and someone with $5 million the same investment opportunities. So it's time to start living life on your own terms, no matter how much you have to invest. Use the exclusive promo code MMM to get $10 added to your account, ready to invest when you sign up to the Sharesies platform. All investing involves risks, T's and C's and fees apply. There's a link in the show notes to Sharesies. Thanks, Sharesies. I'm joined by John Pigeon, my millennial property. Let's get into the episode right now. John Pigeon, my millennial property. Welcome. Hey, I might get you to read Kayla's question. Yes, Kayla. Hello, MMM community. I'm wondering if anyone else is looking at changing their money plans. Now, the HEX indexation rate is looking like it'll be around 7%. I have 45K of HEX debt and know that in the past, paying it down voluntarily would not have been very smart. However, the fact the rate is likely going to be higher than my mortgage makes me think I should pay off a chunk. We only bought our first home last year, so I don't have a heap of savings, but I do have 15K that I was hoping to put towards a kitchen reno. I've worked out if the rate is 7%, if I put it into my hex instead, it will save me $1,000 in indexation, which honestly blows my mind. Would love other people's thoughts on this. What are your thoughts, Glenn? Yeah, I think we first need to just, before we start and talk about Kayla and her situation, we need to understand a couple of things. Uh, The HEX and HELP indexation rate, that increases on the 1st of June every year, right? And at the end of April, they'll let everyone know the index rate. So a couple of things. The index rate, it's not based on CPI that you hear on the news yesterday. So It's based on the last two years. I think they take an average of all the quarters over the last two years and then that's how they average it. Just so if there's one off spike in uh, inflation, it's not going to mess around with that rate too much. The second thing is I don't think it 
will be around seven. I would expect maybe around between four and a half and five and a half, maybe. I'm not sure. But I'm probably not changing my wholesale plans around this indexation rate for a couple of things. And it might be different for the different people listening to this. So John, over the last 10 years, so from 2013 to now, the average indexation rate for Hex and Help has been 1.97%. So what I'm doing, if I've got help debt and I've had it for a long time, over the last 10 years, I've basically got a free kick. So I just need to understand that. Like it really hasn't gone too savage over the last 10 years. Now that inflation is creeping up, obviously the indexation rate's coming up. So that kind of flicks it back to the second group of people who maybe have just got their help loan last year or in the last two years. You're now entering a climate that's going to have a higher indexation rate. So what do you think, John? Like I'm pretty confident where I would like people to still focus on their big financial rocks first, be it emergency fund, if they've got any other consumer debt, if is it, is it saving for a home deposit? I'm still probably going to go down that road. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm sticking to the long-term strategy, I think, as well, even though it is a lot higher than what it has been or will be higher. Uh, she said that she hasn't got a heap of savings, uh, but she does have 15K. So it tells me she hasn't got too much more than 15. So yeah, kitchen reno, okay, that's fine. We're, we're adding value to the asset uh, and we're creating maybe a better lifestyle for ourselves with a, with a nicer kitchen. We've got to stay cash heavy, don't we? And I think putting it into hex where we're not getting it back, um, very different to maybe putting it into a, a reno where we can actually see some value um, come through the front end via maybe equity release if uh, if she needs to going forward. But I, I wouldn't be putting anything down extra into hex or help. Yeah. There was a, a comment uh, in the Facebook group from Chantel uh, she said, hers is $56,000 and if my compulsory contributions are 10%, the 7% goes back, I'm only 3% in front and I feel like I'm chasing my tail. So generally speaking, technically your hex, if, for example, if the repayment rate was 5.5% coming into June this year, if your income is under $83,000, you would basically be putting 5% contribution over the financial year. So if you're up around, you know, and Chantel's probably on over 140,000 because she's withholding 10%, we know that her hex and help debt is decreasing each year by 3%. So what I would probably say is I'm calling that we may see a possible repayment threshold income adjustment in the next couple of years because ultimately the government do want to make sure that people are paying down their hex and help debt, particularly once people start to join the workforce and start to earn money. So what I'm saying in this instance, I'm probably not doing too much. I'm still building my financial life. It is something that you've got to address. I think it's like, remember back to when I had a hex debt, which was a little bit before your time, Glenn. Um, there was a lot of us in our first 
two to five years of employment that that didn't actually make any dint off our of our hex and it just sat there um so yeah it's it's interesting what your income levels are and that that may need to be changed going forward as to how much we're paying off it yeah my own type of house view is the same with putting extra money into superannuation and for those who have my book sort your money out you can find this list on page 286 I pretty much say you wouldn't put money into superannuation or you wouldn't pay off extra help debt if you're trying to get out of consumer debt. You have a goal of saving for your first home to live in, and that's not including the first home super saver scheme. You have a goal of paying down part of your mortgage to remove the parental guarantee. You're starting your career and you're on a lower income. You might choose to establish your life first. If you want to start a business and need additional cash flow to save for this, or you have other financial goals that you need to meet in the medium and short term. One thing you need to really understand as well, in terms of an estate planning situation. So I don't know Kayla's situation. We'll just pick on Kayla for a second. If Kayla had a partner and a family, for example, right? And that family had $1,000 left over every month and they put that extra repayment down on the help debt, then if Kayla was to die prematurely, that repayment has gone because the hex and help debt dies with you. However, if Kayla put that $1,000 into super, into an investment account, and she was to die prematurely, her estate would receive that $1,000. So what I say to people, and I'm having these conversations a fair bit, I would probably be putting a note in your diary, your calendar or whatever for around May, once we know the indexation rate that is released uh, by the ATO, I would probably just make an annual judgment call if you did want to do some housekeeping. Now, the only caveat there, John, is if you are in the midst of buying a home to live in, like your first home and you may need that money for a deposit, because talk to us how help debt affects mortgage borrowing capacity. Yeah, look, you read my mind, Glenn. Um, it, it's sometimes a case of robbing Peter to pay Paul, as they say, so, because you're taking that, let's say the 15K, and we're paying down the hex debt, hypothetically. So we're increasing our serviceability, our ability to lend money from the banks because we've got lower debt, but we're taking away from our deposit, which we may need. So we need to assess really with a sophisticated mortgage broker that is, uh, have we got high servicing and low deposit or have we got high deposit, low servicing? And if it's high deposit, low servicing, then yeah, there is a slight argument to pay down that debt with the 15K. Yeah. So if, for example, you earned $70,000 per year, the repayment rate is 3.5%. Now, it doesn't matter if that person earning 70K has $5,000 of help debt or 500,000 of help debt. The repayment rate is based on your income. Now, if you do have a campaign to buy a new home or to buy your first home, particularly in the next 12 months or so, or short term, six months, because remember in the money world, short term is under three years. Like, And we often get confused with that because everything is so instant now, isn't it, John? But short term, when we say short term in the money world, it's probably under three years. 
I would talk in concert with the broker, as John said, and they can say, hey, we see you've got $20,000 saved in this savings account over here. It will help your mortgage if you pay that $8,000 help debt and we put the rest onto the, the loan because you'll get a higher amount. So yeah, it is nuanced. Talk to your mortgage broker, do an annual May check and just really make sure that you understand that debt dies with you. And I think we step into that psychology thing. And a couple of weeks ago, John, we talked about the person who inherited $500,000. They had 40 grand, hex and helped it. I'm just like, yeah, piss it off, get it out of your life. But it can be nuanced. So mm. yeah, there's, look, at the end of the day, if you got less debt in your life, it's better. <laughs> like if you want to go like bush maths, like I owe money, I want to pay it off. Like I'll never go yeah. mad on you for paying off debt. How about that? Yeah, it's a good problem to have that we're actually addressing it and she's taking an interest in it um, because easily to look over and just get on with life. Um, bit of bit of side fodder, I was talking to someone on a clarity call this week and they said, oh, I've got a long-term goal to buy my home. So like, when, when is that going to be? He said, oh, five years. It's like, all right, okay, so long term's five years now, Glenn. Well, you know, I think in human terms, five years is a long time away. But in money terms, we're not investing in a, a high growth asset for less than that. So yeah, I don't know. Was that just a comment? Yeah, it was just a comment. Yeah, sweet. Love yeah. your comments, John. <laughs> hey, if you do want to bounce your situation off John, he doesn't promote his crap enough, but he does clarity calls. If you want to just jump on the phone with John for an hour or so, um, we'll put a link in the show notes. He charges for them because if he doesn't, he wouldn't have a life. He'd spend all day on the phone. Uh, so we just have to have a bit of a premium to protect John's time and We've had some really good uh, outcomes. And John, I might get you to, next time you are organizing a clarity call, ask if you can record it and we'll put it up on the podcast. I did one last week with a, a lady. She was uh, she chose the phone option as opposed to Zoom mm-hmm. um, merely because she'd been on night shift and uh, didn't want to show her face. So that uh, ev- everyone can choose how what sort of forum they'd like to communicate with. Love that. Kat talked about refinancing variable home loans every few months to chase the cash back. Well, <laughs> that's, uh, here we go. But she said, what are the pros and cons? And she said, obvious ones are the con where you might get a $1,000 cash back loss to any fees because there are sometimes mortgage establishment costs and all that stuff. Uh, the paperwork is a con. And she said, the pro is feeling like I'm winning because of free money. Still chasing the lowest interest rate to an extent, of course, and her loan is over 600K. I mean, we are in a, a very, very different environment. That's why I just wanted to talk about this again today for everyone who may not have listened for a month or so. If you haven't had your mortgage reviewed in some time, you've got to run your eyes over it. John, this running around changing banks every 10 minutes, talk to us about that. I suppose the first thing for Kat would be how much time have you got on your hands to navigate through this? Um, a mortgage broker is not going to want to do that for you. Um, the whole clawback system comes into place, doesn't it? So um, with in, in respect to clawbacks for mortgage brokers, basically they get paid by the banks or, or the bank that you choose to go through and that upfront commission, there's a requirement that the banks will say, well, okay, if this, uh, if this person sells their home or refinances to another lender within, usually within 12 months, but can be up to two years, then that money you paid us, you need to give it back. So yeah, a broker is not going to entertain it, which means, Kat, you need to do the running around yourself, uh, which can be 
very time intense, right? Mm. So if you're up for that challenge, fantastic. But we've got to ask ourselves, what are we actually gaining out of this in real dollars when we, as she said, we take into account the the fees. Um, we've got to put a cost on our, ourselves and our time, don't we? Like we we could be doing a, a lot of other productive things in our life uh, instead of doing this running around just to, to, to cash in on one or two K. Now that's not being flippant about the amount. It's just maybe get the best deal out there at the time and then reassess in six months, maybe best case, uh, worst case, 12 months, but I wouldn't be doing much more than that. Yeah. And remember, if you are refinancing, just make sure that you're aware of what the loan terms reset at. While you could get a cheaper rate, if the loans reset to 30 years and you only had 20 to go, um, you might end up paying more if you never touched it again. So it's just things to be aware of when you are going around and refinancing. But look, before Christmas last year, I called my banks and lenders and I managed to negotiate a cheaper rate because there is a focus. I read in the AFR that they're really focusing on the back books at the moment. The banks want to keep their clients. Um, after the latest round of increases, I'm going to call again next month and have a bit of a chat. So I think it is just in this environment, we have to be a little bit more active and yeah, it's really up to you. I mean, generally speaking, if you follow the Glenn James spending plan, you know, I teach that, well, particularly in my situation, my cash hub is attached to my offset account. I don't want to be moving around new monthly debits every 10 minutes when I'm refinancing. So, I mean, as, as John said, if you live for that stuff, um, knock yourself out, but the buck will stop somewhere. You'll get to the point where you've done it for three banks or lenders and everything's good and you put an application in and some credit assessor looks at your Equifax profile and goes, oh, this person's refired every year. Nah, not doing it. Stuff ya. Like there could be a, a commercial decision made that there's a pattern here of this person changing every year and because the credit files will tell you the amounts, so they're not refinancing for higher debt. It's the same debt. So yeah. And, and I suppose just to bookend this, for investors out there thinking, well, I want to buy multiple properties, we don't necessarily look at the, the cash back and what we're, what we're saving so much as much as we do how much can we borrow and which banks have got higher servicing for us as opposed to others. And, and I've seen instances where the same criteria for clients can be 300k difference in how much they can lend from a certain bank to another. So that's some of the things that we focus on is how much can we lend uh, and at what rate and how flexible are they with their uh, their lending options. Mm. I want to talk about this uh, because it has come up in recent weeks in the podcast Facebook group. Brody said he's after some opinions relatively new to personal finance, been absorbing all I can, building my emergency fund, etc. My question is, I only have one debt, a car loan at 2.4% interest rate. And I know the golden rules to pay down consumer debt. But if I can earn a higher rate on my savings account above 4%, does it make sense to leave the money sitting in my account making four instead of paying a debt at 2.4? Or is there something I'm missing? Obviously, if the interest rates drop and my savings account drop below 2.4%, it's a very different situation. What are you doing in Brody's situation? Yeah, it's an interesting concept that he's reviewing, isn't it? Like 
we're, we're saving money or paying down a debt um, or, or making money rather than paying down a debt. I think fundamentally a car debt is what's considered bad debt. So the asset itself is generally going down in value except through COVID, right? So if, if that's an asset that's going down in value, we want to be paying that off as quick as we possibly can, regardless of what the interest rate is. So I yes, the maths, 4% versus 2.4, you might have a valid point there, Brody, but I'd still be paying down the bad debt versus keeping it in a, in a savings account. What are you doing? Yeah, I think a couple of things like what Brody's talking about there is um, Robert Kiyosaki's OPM, other people's money. And the premise is I use other people's money to do all my investing and blah, blah, blah. And the thing is like when you go wholesale into that thing and leverage up as much as possible, you'll get flushed. At some point in time, you'll get flushed. So that's just a bit of a rant on that arbitrage that we're talking about. The difference between 4% earning and 2.4% paying, that's a 1.6% pre-tax spread. Pay a little bit of tax, call it 0.6, making something up here. You're doing all this dickery to do a 1%. So if we then go car loan, let's just say the car loan is 18,500 times, uh, yeah, 1%, dollars are we dicking around for $185? I'm not sure. I'm probably not. There is a but coming and there's a big but, John. Now, before I get into my big but, you were going to jump in there. Yeah, I just wanted to finish off on the Kiyosaki thing sure. because whilst he loves using other people's money to, to leverage, it's for income producing assets, generally speaking. It's not to borrow for an asset to be going down in value. Yeah, but the, like I can see the point of the arbitrage. It's like yeah. I've got $20,000 cash. Do I get a car loan at 2.4 and put my money to work to get 4%? Like I, I can see it. It's totally. Now, and I did jump into the comments here in the Facebook group. You love it. I just love it. I'm really active in the group, guys. I'm sorry. I don't have a life, everyone. <laughs> well, obviously today I wasn't because uh... – a lady had a go at me. Yeah, well, you deserve a blinder. it. So what I said to Brody is, you've got to check your car loan first. You've got to say, is this car loan like a personal loan? And it's not because it's clearly 2.4%. Um, but go with me. You've got to check your car loan to make sure, call them up and say, if I pay this out early, number one, is there a penalty? And if they go, yeah, there's a penalty, that penalty generally means that it's a fixed type loan. So the interest is calculated at the start and it's amortized and there's a schedule and you pay X amount a month for four years. If you pay it off early, that's cute. We're still getting our interest because it's a fixed thing. Now, if it was a personal loan and you pay it off early, you pay less interest because the debt's gone. That's generally how it works. So you need to work out what type of loan you're dealing with. If it is a fixed loan, which it is, I'm probably more of the view, let it do its thing in the background. You know, he's new to this personal finance stuff. Keep building your emergency fund. Let that tick along. Get your habits in place. Get your systems in place. Then start saving. And then if you want to pay it off, pay it off. But if you're just happy to keep it there because it's a fixed interest rate, do that. So I'm saying to Brody, we're having this discussion 
less about the interest rate arbitrage, but more about understanding that it's fixed rate and understanding conceptually, I don't want any debt. I just want it cleaned up, happy to smash it out. Then I'll get on with my life. I think that's the discussion. It's not getting in the weeds of um, arbitrage because if you really wanted to go down the arbitrage thing, you'd get that money instead of paying down the car loan, you wouldn't have it in your savings account. You'd have it invested in equities to get a higher spread. But you just not, I just, well, I'm just not doing that. I'm, I'm letting it run out if it's a couple of years and it probably only has two years left because I haven't seen car loans at 2.4% for a while. Um, Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. And then that's what I mean. Like it's because it comes back to how you feel about your cash flow. Like even if it was, I'm going to do this $18,000 times 2.4%, that's $432 a year times four. That's only $1,700 of interest. Okay. So most people, $1,700 over four years, it's not changing your life. And as I said a little bit ago, doing this arbitrage for $180, are we doing this? So I think it is more, Brody, if you want to clean it up, awesome. Maybe get your emergency fund to six months first or at least have some type of buffer, then get at it. We'll take a quick break and we're going to ask you when we get back, what does life on your own terms look like? We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Radio, welcome back to our community segment of the week where we ask you in the Facebook group a poignant question. Now, we can't do this part of the podcast without the help of Sky Wealth. You've told us that you want your income insurance sorted. You've told us that it is a big priority this year. So make sure you go to sky.com.au forward slash MMM, have a 15-minute complimentary conversation with the team, and they can point you in the right direction. Thanks, Sky. John, what did we ask people? So we asked, life on your own terms looks like dot, dot, dot. Mm. 
Monique says, taking a day off because my child has a sports carnival or an assembly and being able to be there for those moments. I hear you, Monique. Maddie says, Cocoa Pops and cartoons in the morning, then a motorcycle ride in the afternoon every damn day. Joe, Elizabeth, not selling my hours on this planet to someone else. That's a really important one, isn't it? Mm. Especially for those who do trade their time for hours underneath someone else. Yeah, I... Someone actually asked me the other day, like, what do you value most in life? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. Cars. Yeah, but like, I was thinking the biggest thing that I value is the ability that I have to control my own schedule. Yeah. And sure, like, if I had 15 kids like you do, John... I'd probably say my kids or my spouse, but yeah, it's it's interesting to look through this stuff. Tim Desmond said, the ability to quit on a daily basis as required if something at work is not good for you and no stress on you when you rejoin the workforce. So that's kind of having that emergency fund, I guess. Yeah, or just assets that are maybe passively working for him. Mm. Warren says, choices. Do I play golf today? Do I get some work done? Either choice having no impact on my financial situation. I think that's the biggest thing with like financial freedom. It means you can actually do whatever you want when you want. Yeah. And in doing things you enjoy, isn't it? Mm. And that's why like if you hate your job or if you hate life, like I would encourage you to do something about it because you've got a lot of hours to go, peeps. Yeah. And we're rock up on two o'clock on a Thursday because we enjoy it. Yeah. And we did have it scheduled for 2.30, but because John wants to do what Monique does and take his freaking kids everywhere. It, I know. threw a line out and he's, he's eating it up. <laughs> <laughs> did you do that on purpose? <laughs> I oh. did. Because <laughs> oh, I was going uh, to have a hack at you when you read that first one. I was like, no, no, oh, any too rough. <laughs> oh. uh, Katie. Being able to fill up my fuel tank as needed without worrying about how much it is per litre. That's a big one, that. Very different to what it was five years ago, that's for sure, Katie. I hear you. Julie said, being a retired stay-at-home dog mum, woof, woof. I said the woof, woof, not her. (laughs) Oh, this is funny. Aiden said, paying tax of 30% on the earnings of my superannuation account. (laughs) (laughs) What about Susie Snoozy? Mm Mm-hmm. Helping others, donating, volunteering, being a support person, and then also when I'm not committed, traveling. So she's giving back to everyone else in this life and then her second. I like that, Susie. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll leave you there. Thanks to sky.com.au forward slash MMM for supporting the community segment of the week. Rightio, we're changing up the structure just a little bit after the community segment each Tuesday. This is more for like the core hardcore listeners and all that stuff. Um, Just do some housekeeping to keep the kind of community in the know with what's happening. We've scheduled a heap of webinars now through the end of the year and we'll keep you abreast of the situation. But the next one that we've got coming up is April the 18th, which is next Tuesday night if you listen to this live. It's 6 p.m. from Sydney time. It's with Rachel Croon and it's all about mortgages, whether you're a first home buyer, first home investor, uh, if you've got a mortgage and you want some tips and tricks, all that stuff, uh, Rachel Croon from Sphere Home Loans, she's doing a webinar. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, next month, we've got another one. 
you know, Shell's actually doing one on personal leadership. John, you're going to do one on property again, buyer's advocate. We're going to get James Millard from Sufficient Funds to do one on financial planning. So we just want to add more value to people and, you know, register for the webinar. If you can't watch it, I'm sure there'll be a replay, but often it's better to be there because you get to ask questions and yeah, they're really, uh, really engaging. The other thing I would say as well, over the last few weeks, if you've had issues uh, with Apple podcasts, some of our episodes haven't been showing and it is an issue with Apple. They're on Spotify, they're on Google Podcasts, they're on CastBox. So you probably have noticed that not just with My Millennial Money, but with all your other favorite podcasts. Either that or Apple's canceled us. They've uh, had enough <laughs> of our rubbish after five years. Mm. So John, any other quick housekeeping from your end? Oh, look, it's interesting times uh, and I feel like a bit of a broken record um, if anyone's tuning into our, our property show because that the supply, from a property perspective, the supply demand is is very, very tight at the moment. Supply is hardly any stock and demand is high. And if we're, my, my piece of advice today is if we're sitting on the fence, we're going to get a shock when we enter the market back later in the year because there's no blood on the streets. Um, Properties still humming along pretty well. Days on the market are still short in most areas around the country. And it's very hard for people to understand because they're reading the media and the media is saying almost the opposite. So that's my housekeeping tip for today. Um, But uh, yeah, if you want to from, from my perspective, I'm creating an online property coach. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, it's going to launch in the next couple of months. So there'll be a link in the show notes for that just to register your interest. So it'll be a, a cheap and nasty monthly fee um, and just heaps of videos and tips and resources and everything all in one spot with your own login. So I'm uh, pretty pumped about that. Awesome. Okay. This next one, we'll keep anonymous because it is somewhat sensitive. Um, it was in the Facebook group. There's a long post with heaps of information. Uh, so I asked Jess Knaus in our team to read it out uh, so you don't have to listen to me stumble. Uh, so let's have a listen to the question that was put up in the Facebook group and we'll talk about it. Looking for advice on the best way to pay for a holiday. Okay, I know the number one rule for funding a holiday is not going into debt. However, I have an already booked trip to Europe in six weeks' time. Flights and some of the accommodation and transits already paid for, which it now looks like I'm going to be short for after some unexpected expenses. Background financial context. Four years ago, I experienced a debilitating health condition where I was unable to work for a year and have been slowly rebuilding my working capacity ever since. Three years ago, I left an unsafe marriage and walked away with almost nothing after the settlement and have effectively had to start again. I've put my daughter through her final three years of schooling at a private school, bought her a car last year when she got her licence and paid for all of her graduation expenses, got her all set up and moved out of home for university five weeks ago. Eleven months ago, I met the most incredible man who loves and treats me better than I ever thought was possible. He invited me to join him on their family pilgrimage to Europe, and I jumped at the chance after such a tough few years. But after carefully planning and budgeting, it looks like I will have a shortfall. So looking into some options credit card with 0% interest on purchases for 12 or 24 months, personal loan, some other option I haven't thought of. I feel like I'm at ground zero with finances and have only just started to dive into the My Millennial universe. I'm so excited to put myself in a strong financial position, but do need wisdom for how to navigate this situation and beyond. 
Note, I have no existing credit cards or debt in any other areas. Please be kind. Some extra context. My partner and I are very much aligned and in a similar situation when it comes to finances. He is a full-time solo dad to two beautiful girls. We are intentional with finances, but travel and adventure are a high value for both of us. He and his family have already paid for many parts of our trip, as I am his slash their invited guest. His family pilgrimage will be the last opportunity as his parents are almost 80. They have invited their family to join them to connect with their homeland in Ireland while they are still healthy enough to travel such a distance. We are going for three weeks. I have enough money saved to cover our time away, plus cover the time I'm not working. I work as a relief school teacher. No work equals no pay, and I don't have access to sick leave or long service leave. The loan is to have a breathing buffer. I'm thinking two to three grand would be sufficient. I'd allow myself no longer than 12 months to pay it back. I've sold everything of value, have taken on as much additional work as I can, and I'm also waiting to get started on slash paid for some copywriting work. Not going on this trip or deferring is not an option for me. Our flights are non-refundable. And I'm very happy to take on a small amount of debt in order to have this once-in-a-lifetime experience after all the shit I've navigated. I seriously hesitated when posting, fearing I was going to be slammed and shamed for being irresponsible and not managing money well, something my ex always told me, despite him controlling all of the finances in our relationship. I've been overwhelmed by the love and encouragement. Thank you. So first and foremost... We know that the poster, she, you know, she's been through hell. Um, like if you've got a debilitating health condition and that's really knocked you around, I mean, that's hell. Um, an unsafe marriage, that's hell. So I've got so much grace and respect for this woman because being through hell, got her child through private school, got her a car, doesn't have any other credit card debt, no other debt, um, finally met someone who's awesome and life's looking awesome going forward. So I totally get that. And my tip of the hat to you, uh, because you've said you've just dived into the My Millennial world and, you know, you are starting to, you know, be more strategic. But to be honest, for someone to cash flow a private school, buy their daughter a car and, you know, do all that stuff, you're obviously doing well and killing it anyway. Now, John, in the Facebook group, there was a bit of a mixed reaction and right. I probably want to just deviate a little bit from the questioner here and talk conceptually, but there was a bit of a deviation in the Facebook group. There was the side of the coin, like, take that freaking holiday at no cost. You know, it's life's too short. You've been through hell, all that stuff. Where I jumped in, walked in the door with a big wet blanket and was basically like, hey, you know, um, I was kind and gave the respect due and all that stuff and encouraged her. But I just basically have made the rule in my life, and I can tell you why I made this rule, that I don't borrow money consumer debt based on emotional justifications, however good that is. Now, you're going to disagree. Like, There's probably 40 to 50 to 60% of people who are listening who are ready to jump through the headphones and slap me for being such a crude and such a harmful dictator. But the reason where I've made the rule in my life that I don't go into consumer debt is this. Number one, I'm a spender. I've emotionally justified a lot of crap money in my 20s, a lot of crap costs, all that stuff. Number two, I've been on the other side of the desk and coached hundreds of people 
who have been in a pickle because you pull this thread, okay, I'll just get a credit card for the holiday. It ends up costing more than you think. You end up going, oh, that wasn't so bad, pay it off. And then something comes up through the year and I've still got the card. And I mean, this person here, like, I'm sure they're already, you know, halfway to the airport and they're doing it. And I'm sure because of her history, I'm sure she'll be able to pay that off. That's fine. But I don't think I'll ever say from this platform that you should borrow money for consumables and a holiday is a consumable. What's your take conceptually? Look, for entertainment value, I, I, I uh, disagree with you. Right. Um, now- oh, I don't care about the entertainment. Like, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I think back to, well, I don't know how old this person is, mm. right? Um, well, age is not, yeah. not really- Well, her daughter's in university, so- Yeah, so let's call it 40 plus. We'll call it your age. <laughs> <laughs> so 40 plus. Um, you mentioned before about you being a spender. From what I'm reading, this person is very much a saver. Worked hard to to do everything possible to to get by. Um, appreciates the the family. Put daughter through private school. Paid for a car. All those things, right? So, it's there's there's no evidence of I just splurge everywhere I go. So I'm actually giving this person a free kick and saying, okay, if you're honest with yourself and you can write a note to yourself that this is absolutely a one-off, um, you've got integrity in your life, uh, it's a it's a free kick to say, yep, this is my one trip that I'm going to take as uh, almost a, a celebration of my new life. And then I come back and I start phase two. And phase two is going to be a, a much more fruitful one in a number of ways. I would ask though, this incredible man, can he chip in and pay the way and she pays him back? That would be the cheapest version other than all the whole personal loan, credit card, that sort of jazz that we don't ideally want to entertain. Yeah, but she did like, I would hypothesize just by reading this stuff, you know, coming out of a a toxic marriage and unsafe marriage, she may have problems borrowing money directly from Mr. Wright at the moment. And that's okay. Mm. And I mean, like, look, I'm sure she can pay this off. That's fine. But I've made a rule in my life that I just don't borrow money and I've seen way too many people pull this thread. And this is why I kind of, I don't really want to talk about this person. And again, we've left her name off the podcast just for her own privacy. But I just think, you know, I'll, I'll just never say on this microphone, it's okay and give someone a green light to borrow money to consume things. Because at the end of the day, like I know she's been through hell. Absolutely, I know. You know, the big thing, I saw a flight center advertisement on the side of the road, you deserve this, Mm. AKA you deserve to borrow this money to go on a holiday to treat yourself. I mean, and for me, I just really look at probably my own privilege more so. And the problem is everyone who's hating on me right now because we've touched into a sensitive area, like you listen to my millennial money. If Glenn James has the microphone, I'm really sorry, but you get Glenn James, and that's yeah. going to piss people off. But I, I for my from my own privilege, I don't deserve squat. Like there's people going without food and drinks tonight, so yeah, I don't deserve right. a holiday. It's nice, yeah. I'll take one, but I personally don't deserve squat. And this is why it's so 
I, I just thought it was an interesting topic and an interesting question. There's going to be so many people that disagree with me and that's totally fine. If we all agreed with what I say, we're in trouble. But yeah. yeah, look, it's life's not equal, is it? And and you've got to address it on its merits. Outside of this little eco center that we're in on this podcast, and and the everyone who tunes into it, I, I would argue that more than fifty percent would be doing this on a regular basis and just spiraling out of control. So yeah, I I just think look, it could change this person's life um, by having this experience and and then coming back to phase two. But there must be a stop point in that Mm. which says, right, I need to have this sorted and I've got a cash flow plan that says, right, if I'm borrowing 5K or 3K or whatever the amount is, that it's going to be paid back by X and this is how I'm going to go about it. If we're not going away with that plan, then we don't go. Yeah. And I mean- this person here is definitely going. And it's always, it's so funny this, like when you, you know, you look at this stuff and you heard the the question in the comments, like there's been a lot going on, put the hustle in, it's very nuanced. It's so funny that these opportunities always come up just when I've been yeah. through a big valley and I'm, yeah. all right, I'm, I'm at base camp. Oh, what? I've got another, like, it's just, I don't know, like I want you to go and have the best time ever. Uh, but yeah, I'm just never going to, say that borrowing money for consumables is good. Is yeah. good. So the, the first two options, just to cut to the chase on that, credit card, personal loan, well, some other option I haven't thought of is that option that I've spoken about. Um, if you're listening, put it out to him. So mm. look, here's the agreement. I've drawn it up. If you're okay with it, great, let's do it. It's yeah, not not free money, but it's well. Uh, she's it's she's saying three thousand dollars. Two to three would be the buffer. A personal loan, they won't do that. Um, they'll say go get a credit card. So basically, if you are financing this with debt, you probably just need to get a credit card and put as many of those expenses on that card and let it ratchet up to um, that three grand or so. But we know one thing: when you travel, you know things always cost more than what you think blows out, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. But anyway, look, I, I really appreciate her being in the group and being so honest and open. And Great. yeah, just, you know, over the last, we'll call it four, four years, you know, coming out of hell with a debilitating health condition and an unsafe marriage, finally we're onto some greener pastures and I wish you all the best with uh, everything that you're doing and yeah. enjoy the trip. Yeah. Lulu, should I put an after-tax contribution to Vanguard Super or VDHG. I aim to hold it for the long term, 30 years plus, but seeing the fees in Vanguard Super for high growth is much higher than the cost of VDHG. Would anyone kindly give any suggestion? John, would you be kind enough? No. Okay. I'd go Vanguard. The suit, the suit. <laughs> they're both Vanguard dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, lol. Yeah. Look, I um, look. The question is, should I do after-tax contributions to super or invest outside of super? That's the question. The question isn't contribute to Vanguard Super or VDHG, because a lot of the time with our money things, we get caught in the tactics, not in the strategy. So, the strategy is 
you know, why are you making after-tax contributions? Are you capped out at the $27,500 concessional contribution cap? Are you earning over three hundred and fifty grand or whatever the amount may be to get you to that $27,500 cap? So number one, because if you are holding it for the long term, it needs to go into super because it's going to be the most tax efficient longer term, regardless if that's 0.5% more to have it in that super fund. But do we also look at Lulu's age and... Well, I think that's after the fact a little bit if they've said that they know that they don't want to touch it for 30 years. So we're assuming or, or can't touch it. So we're assuming that Lulu's say 30. Well, Lulu just said, I aim to hold it for long term, 30 years plus. So whether they're 20 or 40 or 50, yeah. this money but doesn't need to be spent. Would you like taking for granted that Lulu's maxing out her super contributions at the moment? Yeah. Would you go heavy on after-tax contributions when she's already maxed that out? Yeah, so effectively, probably, and the reason why, and this is on the proviso, like you do not need that money for 30 years. Yeah. When that money's in superannuation, even though it's going in with post-tax dollars, it's still growing at a 15% tax rate, not at a tax rate of your marginal tax rate even if it's 32% or 47%. Mm. Now, the current announcement that the government have made is once that your accumulation account is at $3 million, anything over the $3 million is going to get taxed at 30%. Now, that hasn't been tabled and passed through parliament. It could change, et cetera, et cetera. But effectively, I've even thought myself, like if I got to the point where I had that much quote-unquote leftover money or you know, I didn't want to do any more investing, like I would probably have no problem putting it post-tax into super to get to that 3 million cap straight away. And then if you are on track to get to that 3 million cap, well, then you make the judgment call. It's like, well, mm. I still think 30% tax in super at over $3 million is less than 47% outside super if I'm on the highest marginal tax rate. Yeah, but also taking into account that that forecasted tax rate's going to come down in the next couple of years as well, isn't it? Uh, with the stage, the, three tax case, the stage yeah. three tax cuts. Yeah, but I think the highest tax rate is still going to be there. Doesn't it go up though? We'd have to check that. Let's just look at the stage three. Yes, for those earning over the $200,000, the tax rate would remain at 45%. That's under the stage three tax cuts. Yeah. Okay, so anything, anyone under two hundred gets a, a little bit of a free kick. Yeah, and the underlying question here was around the Vanguard super fees is higher than Vanguard ordinary money. And that's the same if you've got a, gosh, a super fund. It's so funny. Like I always think like if you're Australian super or Hester or Host Plus, if your investments are that good, why don't you just create an investment platform outside of super anyway? Um, but the reason why the Vanguard super fees are higher than the Vanguard standalone is because there's a super trustee and there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to administer a superannuation fund. So that's the long, the short, uh, the differences because you've effectively got a trustee layer involved uh, with that. So, 
it's a good problem to have to be able to put in or have the ability to have already maxed out your super and to be able to have some more cash to be able to put into Vanguard of some description. Now, thirty thinking 30 years' time, it's a long way to look forward, isn't it? Like it, in super where we've got a, a, a very minimal tax rate, 15%, outside of super, who knows what our tax rate's going to be based on how much we're working. Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking, these are, I just love these questions. Yeah, depending on the age and life stance and life, thing wherever they're at, whether they've got a partner or kids or whatever. Yeah, if we do wind it up and talk about age, John, if you did have money left over that you didn't need for those 30 years, you know, life can change in 10 years. Do you want to hedge that bet and only put 50% post-tax into super and invest 50% of the leftover money long-term outside of super just to hedge that bet? And then your lifestyle goals come into it. It's like, well, if I do have a bit of money left over, maybe I only put 20% extra post-tax in super because I really want to have access to that money even in 20 years if my life did change. So, Okay, so let's finish off on this. Mm. Um, 30K a year, round of figures. We're already maxing out our contributions. Let's round it up to 30 instead of 27 half for the, for the purpose. At, for the next 30 years is 900,000. Now, that's not taking into account any performance. Or indexation. So, or indexation. So there's going to be a good chunk already in super. You mentioned the word flexibility or somewhere along the lines of that. I wouldn't be worried too much about the super. I'd be more staying well, a little bit fluid and, and putting in, into something outside of super. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah, and, and that's why like, you know, the risk of causing damage because we don't know the situation, you know, it's the difference is – you know, do they have $1,000 left over a month or $10,000 left over a month post-tax? Mm. I mean, if it's $1,000, probably just keeping it outside. If it's 10000 well, maybe we can be a bit more strategic and put 2000 a month post-tax into super and hedge it with $8,000 a month outside of super. And that's why, my friends, personal financial advice is valuable. It is personal, Glenn. Absolutely. Radio, thank you to everyone for being involved in the Facebook group. I'm liking reading more of these questions as part of our Tuesday episode because you can go back and search the topics and the first names in the Facebook group, see what other people have written. And it really does keep it kind of current with things happening. And John, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast yet again. Pleasure. You can catch John over on the My Millennial Property Podcast anytime you want to hear more of him crap on about property. Bye-bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.